Hello, everyone. Welcome to the third episode of Weaving Myths, Season 2. Weaving Myths is a podcast focused on tabletop role-playing games, and specifically playing them through the play-by-post format. I'm your host, Nathan, and joining me today are Colin. Hello, everyone. And Mordai. Good evening. We are all moderators or administrators on Mythweavers, a play-by-post gaming website, and we are here to help you bring your game to the next level. If you're not familiar with Mythweavers, you can find it at myth-weavers.com. As always, we are joined by the impeccable text chat, which members of Mythweavers are using right now to ask questions and contribute to the discussion. If you too would like to be part of the text chat, feel free to join us on the Mythweavers Discord server every other Saturday at 8pm Eastern Time. This week, we are going to be talking about the events of today. Uh, it's been a very interesting day, and we're going to talk about that. And we are also going to talk about world building in play-by-post. After that, we'll open the floor to a live Q&A session from the text chat where anyone can ask us anything, be it about Mythweavers, gaming, or anything else they want to know. So, what happened today, Colin? Well, today was the uh, long-planned update for Mythweavers, getting... The short version is decoupling, so right now, because we had to roll things back, but the current setup on the website, all the custom code portions, the sheets, a lot of other functions are intertwined into vBulletin, which runs the forums. The upgrade to yeah, date... as an IT I- guy, I can say that this is a very important step to getting us to a point where the forums, what we do as myth weavers is not so reliant on how all of the subsidiary pieces do their job. Exactly. So the plan was to decouple all those custom segments into their own modules that would still talk to vBulletin. Something somewhere went wrong. Of course, we did multiple tests. We've been working on for, believe it's been almost a month and a half, we've been working on a mirror image of the site after upgrade finding all the bugs we could. Rodrigo ran a test to, you know, make sure the update would go according to plan, and everything worked fine in testing. And as an IT guy, I will tell you that's exactly how every upgrade package works. Until you subject the users to it, you're never going to find anything. Yeah, so we had a pretty interesting day, and I use the term interesting kind of loosely. Um, so I would use it in the Chinese sense. And what is that? A very uh, effective Chinese curse is may you live in interesting times. <laughs> we had an interesting day. So I, I guess we'll kind of skip to the end and then come back. But short, long story short, the upgrade, unfortunately, did not work. Um, I don't know enough to say what exactly went wrong, but it didn't go according to plan. So we had to roll back the site to the old version. I can maybe offer just a hair of insight here, not having seen Rodrigo's exact configuration. Pretty much the reason why it failed is because the configuration of the web server portion itself was apparently not quite set up the way he thought it was. Um, And so when you went and hit it with, say, three or four test users, everything worked fine. But as soon as 10,000 Mythweavers rabid fans who really needed their sheets because they were running games tonight and hadn't taken backups recently needed to get their sheets right now. Uh, We ran through something like 13 gigabytes worth of data in a couple of minutes um, as all of those hits came in and it pretty much crashed the web server. Mind you, we don't 
blame the users for that at all. It The update was supposed to take four hours, and of course in testing, things always work according to plan, so we all certainly understand wanting to get to your sheets, wanting to be able to get back on the forum immediately. Now, well, first of all, uh, I think someone in chat said something. Oh, uh, personally, my favorite word of the day is gigaboys. Um, I saw that and immediately started cracking up laughing. Just relevant to the 13 giga- gigabytes of data. Anyway, um, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> I can't find it for you. I don't know what line it was on. I have no idea. When did it leave the station again? <laughs> So anyway, um, I thought we'd just kind of share our experiences of the day. So Colin and Mordai, did you guys have any like interesting things that you saw, interesting conversations, interesting stories, or funny stories, as the case may be? Oh god, the verification requests. You did it to yourself, to be fair. That's very true. <laughs> that is very true. So on the Discord server, for those that may not be familiar with it, when you first join, you're unverified. You can only see a couple channels. You can only talk in one channel. It's our anti-bot safety measure. Once you get verified, we check your Mythweaver's username against the password listed with your Mythweaver's account. Email account, not password. We do not check passwords. No, that's right. We don't. But yes, email. Um, thank you, Mordai. So to do all that, so... You can actually see all the channels on the Discord. You have to get verified. To get verified, we have to be able to access the site. So I had about 13, 14 verification requests through the upgrade period. And then once things rolled back, I very foolishly threw out an at here mention saying, Hey, anyone that's on that's not verified, if you want to get verified, send me your information. I almost feel bad for you for doing that. I mean, I did do it to myself. I mean, I I got mobbed. You had the second highest load after the Mythweavers forums the server themselves. <laughs> Apparently. Well, I, that is probably true, because just to put things into perspective, when today started, we had about 570 members who had joined the Mythweaver Discord. As of right this second, let me look at the number. As of right this second, we are up to 775 members. So we had over 200 people join the server today, which is... And we hope that many of them will stick around to enjoy all that it has to offer. Please, otherwise we're stuck talking to each other and that just gets boring. <laughs> we could be listening to Jimmy. I take it back, there are worse things. <laughs> okay, that's fair, Shimmy, Amy. We will, we will not be... Rude to our pre-show host because he fills the time while we pretend to plan for this thing. Is that what we call pre-gaming? <laughs> yes. Shh, don't tell people. We're actually preparing for the show, I promise. One shot, two shot. I mean, to be fair, in my case, I am usually preparing for the show right up until the last second. But that's only because I put it off the entire week and have to do it like the day before. So, yeah. Technically, you put it off for two weeks since we do the show every other week. Well, okay, yeah, that's fair. I do. <laughs> no, I, I think on every other Saturday afternoon, he comes and thinks that we have to do the show and then realizes, oh, no, this is our week off. I don't have to worry about it right now and drops it. 
actually, that does happen fairly often. There are times when I go to, like, start writing the notes, and I'm like, oh, wait, we don't actually have a show this week. So I procrastinate until the day before the actual show. Never put off to tomorrow what you can put off till the day after tomorrow. (laughs) Or, you know, an hour before. All right. Do you guys have any other stories or anything you'd like to share real quick? I mean, this this is kind of eerily like my work life where I uh, was trucking along with the servers, fat, dumb, and happy until about four o'clock on Wednesday, kind of found out that... uh, one of the service accounts uh, passwords expired and I had failed to remember to change it in advance, thus resulting in all users simultaneously being unable to access all applications. It was fun times. And no, I'm not nearly as graceful at rollback as Rodrigo is. <laughs> so I'll pose the question to the text chat. Did you guys have, see anything that was particularly entertaining or um, do you have any stories to share? Um, any, any gripes? to put out there. People are talking about RC Cola, apparently. I've never had RC Cola. You're welcome. That's my fault. It's almost as good as Rock and Rye. Agree. Damn it, now I want Rock and Rye. I've been disappointed since they switched to artificial sweeteners. Eh, you can't control Fago. Well, we've got Spyros Balder saying his players were more upset that uh, there was work today instead of putting a post up. Their work, not ours. Yeah. Ours prevented everyone from putting posts up. Let me see. There were a couple of quotes from Rodrigo that I thought were particularly hilarious. See if I can find them real quick. Um, so at one point I was kind of like the go between between Rodrigo and the user base. So I was making announcements after he told me what to tell them. And one of the things I said was, How many tablets do you want me to come down from the mountain with? And he said, no less than 20. Um, so for those of you that don't get the reference, that is a reference to, uh, it's, is it the Bible that says that? It, I think we've hit our second Charlton Heston reference of the evening because it is Moses and the Ten Commandments, you know, coming down from on, on Mount Sinai. Yeah. So yes. Bible. <laughs> yeah. So as Valetta Vadim says, I bring to you these 15 crack. Ten. Ten Commandments. <laughs> God, I love History of the World Part 1. Mel Brooks. Let's see. Let's see. If we bring 20 commandments down, then we have ten spare. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really think of any other quotes off the top of my head. Oh, we added the double facepalm thing, which was kind of hilarious. Over your protests, I believe. Uh, well, I was a little hesitant to add it, but... uh. It'll get used, just like that time I added the more you know. When was the last time that was used? Today. Are you serious? Yup. I totally missed it. <laughs> I think it was Sarek. Uh, Chimi, I do know good movies, it's just been a really long time since I've seen that one. Heathen. Alright, well, I just wanted to kind of briefly recount today's events and all of that, so... Um, unless you guys have anything to add, we could probably go ahead and move on. Rodrigo will continue to work on it. It will get fixed, because he's a good guy. Rodrigo is figuring out what went wrong. He will be working to make sure the issue doesn't happen in the future. And we did actually get some of the update done. Nothing that benefits the user side. Well, it benefits the user side a little bit. The 
regulars in the Discord server are used to my occasional mentions of I'm doing some digging, the site's about to lag. The site's about to lag a lot less because of the updates that did take hold. Oh, cool. I did not actually know that some of the updates remained in place. Only a small little bit. Yeah. And it's less an update than, oh, I don't know the bloody name for it. Well, it's indexing is what it really is. But Thank you. But this comes yes. down to making our searches on the staff side faster so that it spends less time dealing with our silly inquiries and more time serving users actual useful stuff. Like when I start about 40 uh, different searches at the same time. So ultimately, that means less downtime as a whole, if I'm understanding correctly. I don't think it ever actually takes it down, but I mean, it'll take a simple page load from almost instant to waiting a good 30, 40 seconds. I think uh, Kami, 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 I'm not sure which way to pronounce it. I'm going with Kami. I hope it's right. I think they were right. I'd call it a quality of life update. Baby steps. Wee little ones. (laughs) So moving on, Nathan. Yeah, all right. So I think we've kind of gone over it. I just wanted to talk a little bit about that because it's kind of fresh on everybody's mind and it seemed like a pretty interesting and entertaining topic to talk about. So uh, And painful. Painful? How is it painful? Seven and a half hours of downtime. Okay, I wasn't quite going to go there, but yes, that was quite painful. (laughs) I'll be the one to toss that out. But next time, it will go faster. And yeah, the good news is the parts that uh, that did take were the ones that were the hardest on the database. So with that being out of the way, the rest of it's relatively easier. Yeah, so um, I don't think I saw... Has Rodrigo mentioned anything about an estimated time for when the he's going to try it again? He has not finished his postmortem yet. Okay. And he's got a gig tonight. Correct. Rodrigo is singing tonight. So for those of you that don't know, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but Rodrigo is an opera singer. And he's fabulous. He is actually quite outstanding. Yeah, um, there are YouTube videos of him singing, and they are, like, insane. He's really good. Isn't there a SoundCloud somewhere? Uh, I remember seeing a link. Let me see. We'll have to find a link, get him to send us a link to a uh, SoundCloud example. We can include it in the links for this episode you know after the episodes edited and put out yeah the one thing i do remember is he has a glorious mane of hair i just love that you said glorious mane of hair yeah of course is that not, is that not the right thing to say moving on <laughs> okay <laughs> i'm sorry that's that's more or less all i remember i remember he was amazing and i remember he has fa- fantastic hair so <laughs> i guess that's going in the blooper reel all right, let's move on to take it. Let's move on to our next topic of the evening. So um, we just wanted to talk about the current events of today for a little bit, and then we're also going to talk about um, world building in play by post. So this is more an actual topic. Um, the so world building in play by post is something that people do a lot. It's slightly different than sitting down at a table with a bunch of people and throwing at ideas at one another. It's, first of all, it's a lot more structured, I think. Um, but also it's more chaotic at the same time because people are not posting at the same time. So you have several different points of view all coming in over the course of several days where at some points, um, you have people 
who have an idea and then they kind of forget about it and then come back and they're like, oh yeah, I remember talking about this and now I have to pick up that train of thought again somehow. So it's it's both more organized and more chaotic. So I just wanted to talk about that a little bit. Um, well, the first part about world building is deciding your scope. If you're not focused, you can very easily find yourself jumping into whatever part of the world you feel like working on and kind of scattershotting it and not building that coherent narrative, um, which ultimately is essential to getting a story off the ground because we're world building because we want to go play a game eventually, right? So we got to start, start with a focus and know what we're after when we're building the world before we jump into just throwing a whole bunch of ideas on the page. Given that, I like to start with the big picture. What's your genre? What's the style of the games that you're expecting to play? Because that will influence the type of tone that you put in the elements of your world. It obviously doesn't have to be set in stone at the beginning, and it can change as the, uh, the world-building effort involves. But uh, by knowing generally what you're about, it helps guide the efforts of all your collaborators to try and work in one direction as opposed to working in 10 different directions and having to herd cats later. Sure. And another thing I like to do when I'm first starting out with world building is I like to have a map, even if it's like a super basic, just an outline of the world with a couple markings on it. Like here's a city, here's a mountain. Like I just, I like to have a map of some kind that way people can kind of visualize the world in their head. Even if it's not detailed at all, people can kind of start to get a sense for the world with just a single map. Yeah, I throw a bunch of circle blobs down. Elves here, dwarves there. Okay, that's maybe a little simplistic, but you get the idea. It doesn't need to actually have terrain on it. It doesn't have to look like a map. It's really more of a thought planning exercise as to where the different pieces come together. What are those touch points that you're eventually going to have to work on the details of? Sure. And one thing I'll throw out there is whenever I do a map, there are a bunch of tutorials on a website called the Cartographer's Guild. I know in a previous episode we talked about maps, but um, it bears mentioning again that the Cartographer's Guild is a brilliant place to find tutorials for both Photoshop and its free equivalent, uh, GIMP. So if you're struggling to make a map... There's a bunch of tutorials, examples, places to draw inspiration from um, on that website. I don't believe I've ever actually used paint.net. Well, it's the uh, .net version of good old school MS Paint, right? I mean, pretty simple, but sometimes simple is effective. Oh, it's basically paint with layers. I gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. So we've talked about places, but a big part about the world is the people that inhabit it, because ultimately that's mostly what players are going to interact with. So think about things like nations, cultures, races, how they all play together um, or don't. Um, sometimes uh, sometimes having a little bit of xenophobia is uh, makes for an interesting story. But setting up that, uh, that basic human or not human interaction, as the case may be, is, is going to help you hone in on uh, the type of story that you're trying to run, be it uh, a uh, fantasy gallop through uh, old school forests, uh, trying to rescue fair maidens trapped by dragons, or uh, a grand uh, multi-cosmic sci-fi uh, shoot 'em up. And oh, go ahead, Colin. I was just gonna say, there's also 
if you're like me, where you may struggle sometimes with world building, there are plenty of resources that can help you develop things quickly, including a few game systems have really, really good die generation tables. And just to drag out one of my favorite systems again, Stars Without Number has generation tables for countries, political entities, organizations, all that. And the lovely thing about it is it adapts very well. You don't need to run a sci-fi game. You don't even need to use that system. The political die tables and all that can be dragged out and applied to almost every system in existence if you're struggling to figure out, okay, this country, I want them to be slightly xenophobic. Here's how I want them to have developed over time. So there are resources if you're hitting writer's block. So just to throw this out there real quick, Valgun in chat is saying microscope. Um, I've never actually used microscope, but just looking at it very briefly, it sounds very similar to Dawn of Worlds, which is a system specifically designed to generate worlds. So along the lines of Colin's die tables, if you go into like Dawn of Worlds or something, you can have a collaborative world building process that's almost entirely random. Um, but Dawn of Worlds adds a little bit more structure to it, but you can create entire worlds using a game system, even if you're not going to use that same system to play the game. Yeah, I mean, I'll be really honest. A lot of the D&D tools for world building are very, very, very limiting in my personal experience of building worlds. They've got their ideas of how to fit into previous uh previously explored territory and if you're looking for something new eh, they're not necessarily the uh my go-to reference sure and that's a great example of you want to tailor the world you're building to the game you're running so if you're running a D game your game should allow for all of the rules or your world should allow for all of the rules that D has so it should incorporate magic, it should incorporate um, artifacts and dragons, it should have all of these things that if you didn't have those things, it wouldn't be Dungeons and Dragons. EDTA points out that Dark Sun does in fact have a dragon. At the, po- the point still stands, though, I think. Like, you obviously, if you're going to be playing D&D, you don't want to have spaceships and aliens, right? You'd rather use something like Stars Without Number or Starfinder or something like that. Um, likewise, if you have a Pathfinder game, you don't necessarily want to have a modern day zombie apocalypse in that. Like those, those aren't really what those rule systems are designed to handle. Well, speaking of events like today, events are something that is, uh, an integral part of world building, not just what is where and who is where and what they are, but how they interacted, how it unfolds. How it unfolded over time, there we go, find the right word, is just as much of the part of the world as any of the, the physical details. You could have wars, you could have discoveries, conquests, uh, histories that have been buried, lost in the sands, and, and dredged back up later. I think Eberron's a great example in, in that type of arena. New technology or magic or something that causes change Change is an integral part of any setting. If it's static, it's going to be boring. And within those events, if you make them kind of quirky, that's okay. And I, quirky is not exactly the right word for what I'm trying to get across. For example, the strongest side in a war 
doesn't always win. You know, so like there are examples from history where a general simply outplayed his opponent and the weaker side won. Things like that can make these events feel more believable and make them feel like things are more realistic while also being more interesting. So people will read that and say, oh, it's really interesting that this gigantic nation didn't win this war against this tiny nation. I wonder why that is. Is there a story there that I can explore? Can I put my players through a story similar to that that is just as interesting? Yeah, don't don't put all of your greatest ideas into the world building because if if you put all of your favorite uh, stories that you want to tell and you tell them, then you don't have any blank space for where the players are actually going to fit in. They have an opportunity to shape the world by what they do in the game, and you as the game master can't craft that for them or you're just writing a participatory novel, which is a different genre entirely, uh, not one we're going to discuss here in play-by-post weaving myths. That's more of a choose-your-own-adventure type thing. Another thing to look at is if you're going to have central points or major changes that are going to happen to your world as it develops, you need to kind of look at how those changes or how those core items actually influence the society and the world itself. A great example I saw of this, which was a joke but kind of got me thinking, is the idea of, you know, okay, the party is in the tavern at the start of the game because every party always starts in a tavern, and they get a send spell that lets them know their Uber carriage is outside. So if you're playing high magic, something like that wouldn't necessarily be an unreasonable thing. Did I ramble and kill both of you? No, I was just looking at text chat. Um, Valgan pretty much nailed it on the head for me. That sounds a lot like an Eberron thing. But yeah, it's it's interesting how different things can affect your world. So like, I'll use an old setting that I used for a couple games in the past as an example. But in that setting... Um, one of the most powerful wizards in the setting invented magical air conditioning. So that completely changed how people built their cities. Um, it changed how they lived. It changed how they stored food, how they ate. Like Even the smallest change can have a huge impact on how your world evolves and how it develops. So suddenly, instead of... Uh, buildings with these giant windows that let air in, all of a sudden you have these giant stone structures that are cooled within by magic, and they don't need windows necessarily. Those points of change are also great spots to insert player characters. Uh, one of my favorite sci-fi games to run that I've never quite managed to get off the ground here on uh, Mythweavers is something right at the dawn of faster-than-light travel, because... That's going to be a complete game changer in how any of the factions within that setting view getting around in space. And there's going to be intense competition for that resource. Competition drives conflict. Conflict drives plot. Plot is what keeps people coming back. The same thing you could do, I guess, in like a Neolithic game at the discovery of fire or the ability to make fire. The people who have it are going to be in an advantage, but they're going to have a target on their back. So I'll give a piece of advice specifically for fantasy settings that, well, I guess it's not technically just for fantasy settings. It can work in sci-fi settings too. But um, 
it's more common in fantasy settings that the deities of your world can heavily influence how you design your world. So if they're very standoffish, like they don't participate in the events of the world at all, that changes how your world evolves and progresses. Whereas a society with direct um, divine influence can change drastically. I mean, look at, for example, Iron Kingdoms. Um, the entire nation of Menoth in Iron Kingdoms is dead set on their religion. And that completely changes the dynamic of the world, where to the point where wars and events happen because of the differences in religion. Um, it's so things like that mythical creatures, divine beings, um, powerful artifacts, all of those things can shape how your world changes and how it builds. One thing you can also do, especially if you're kind of hitting the wall a little bit, read about existing settings, be it pen and paper games or your favorite fantasy, sci-fi, modern, what-have-you book series. Look at other ideas, see if there's inspiration you can take from those settings, those worlds, stuff you might be able to twist into yours, or it might just give you a direction to go where you'll take something as a base example and then completely alter it to your own taste. And if you can't pull any inspiration from existing settings or worlds, there's literally hundreds of random generators out there on the internet. So you can just Google a city generator and it'll pull up a city that is randomly generated and could possibly spark some inspiration. Um, I mean, we live in a digital age. The power of computers to create, it, it might, sometimes you might get nonsense out of these generators. Like things will not make sense at all, but that nonsense can fuel your inspiration. You can say, well, that's nonsense, but that's also kind of interesting. What happens if I explored that idea a bit more and tweaked it so it did make sense? So you can just use basically any tool you can imagine to give you ideas for um, a world. And uh, I'll put in a plug. There's a number of good generators on Mythweavers, and part of the upgrade that Rodrigo is working on will give us the flexibility to uh, continue to expand those offerings. Definitely. I know there are some pretty exciting things in the works as far as that goes. So, over in text chat, Fenrir Lokisum asks, do you start with a story or a world first? That's a great question. I'm not sure that we all, among the three of us, would necessarily agree on that. Colin. I doubt we would agree on that. I tend to come up with just a small little bit of a setting, and as my party explores, I flesh the world out around them. As they ask questions, you know, oh, hey, you know, what countries are around us? What worlds are around us? You know, hey, what happened in this world's history? That's when I actually kind of generate and write, you know, hey, here's the name of this. Here's what happened here. Here's some relevant historical figures. So I hate to kind of take a neutral answer on this, but it goes both ways. You can have both. You can have a world first, which inspires a story, and you can have a story that inspires a world. Um, 
It doesn't have to be one before the other. And I think when you're looking at a game as a GM and you're looking to build a setting, you have to be open to the idea that maybe there's already a setting out there for the story you want to tell. Or maybe there's a story out there and you need to create a world for it. Like, it it goes both ways, I think. Cop out. <laughs> it also depends on your level of ambition. I'll be honest, I'm a little bit lazy, but I also tend to run sci-fi games in sandbox settings. So trying to develop every possible location that the players might randomly uh, veer off towards is a lot of work. And it's easier for me to come up with it when it's needed because, well, I run them on play-by-post and it gives me time to flesh them out quickly. So chat is kind of calling me out on my neutral answer, but... If I had to pick a side, I would say I would rather come up with a world first. And the reason I say that is because I created Pond, which is a collaborative world-building effort put together by myself on Mythweavers, exclusively on Mythweavers. And the world has inspired more stories for me than um, I have come up with stories independent of the world. And for that, I blame the people who have worked on Pond. So many people have worked on it to such an extent that there's so many plot hooks that I just don't want to put it down. And it's it's so much easier for me, because I know the setting so well, to come up with ideas in the world because I know how most things work together in it. So it's just, it, that's where I stand on it. I would have, I, would, I guess I would have to say world first, because if you have a, a really detailed world, you can have mul- a multitude of stories within that world. Asana notes sagely, I contest that it takes more talent for the GM to know when to start with the story and when to start with the world. And, and to be fair, Nathan, when you gave your quote-unquote cop-out answer, I find that I'm agreeing with both you and Asana here because... I've written games where I've started from the inside and worked out, and I've written games where I've started on the outside and worked in. It tends to depend very strongly for me on the type of story that I want to tell. If I'm going to write a dungeon-crawling game, I'm going to start with the dungeon, and I really don't care what's going on in the world around it. We can add those details when the players decide that they're going to leave the dungeon for a second to go sell off their fat loot. On the flip side, if I'm wanting to tell an epic, I need to know the world because otherwise my epic might go off on an arc that ends outside the bounds of reality. Not good for the story. So having a good grasp on what that scope of what you want to get done kind of, to me, dictates the direction that you take when you start with your world-building effort. I will 100% agree with that. The ultimate answer is, it depends All right, do we have anything we want to add real quick before we move on? Crickets. All right. Well, let's move right on into the game of the week. This week's game of the week is A Funny Thing Happened by Ardent Gamer. A Funny Thing Happened is a paranoia game using the Paranoia Troubleshooters 25th Anniversary Edition of the Rules. If you're not familiar with Paranoia, it's a slapstick or black humor style game where the players are definitely not the best pick for the job and commie mutant scum are lurking around every corner. And I mean every corner. 
Ardent Gamer is looking for one to two players to flesh out his team of troubleshooters, which is the name of the group that goes around and solves problems for the friend computer. Friend computer is always right. So, of course, you have to obey. On a personal note, I love Paranoia. It's one of my favorite game systems of all time, and the humor in it can be absolutely fantastic. I highly encourage everyone to give it a try at least once just to see what hilarity can be found. Applications for A Funny Thing Happened close as soon as Ardent Gamer has suitable clones and Friend Computer has verified security clearances. So get those applications in now. And remember, applying is optional, but the fun is mandatory. And we haven't done Paranoia for Weaving Myths Does Tabletop. Why? I have no idea. Because you haven't run it yet. Okay, uh, I also went ahead and threw a link to the game in the Discord chat. And for those of you listening to the recording, that is available on the forum post when the episode goes live on SoundCloud. All right, so now it is time for everybody's favorite segment of the evening, the question and answer segment. Uh, so ask us anything you want. Um, it can be about gaming. It can be about myth weavers. It can be about the events of today. It can be the events of tomorrow. It can be about anything you want. Um, but first we have to it start. It can be about us. Yeah, it can be about us. It can also be anything you want. Uh, we're going to start with the mandatory question though. Uh, mandatory, not in the same way that mand- that fun is mandatory, but also still mandatory. Um, so the mandatory question is, what's making us happy this week? And we'll start with Mordai. Oh, uh, soccer season started. Woohoo! I'm gonna have a lot less free time, but I'm gonna be in really great shape in about eight weeks. Just in time for soccer season to end? Yeah, and then my liver starts taking the hit again. <laughs> well, you know, everything must run in cycles. Alright, well, I will go next. Um, I have a game that is recruiting. It is a window game. Uh, window is my favorite, is, well, it's probably my second favorite system after Pathfinder. Yeah, probably. But You're it's- really telling me with that. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely in the top three. But, uh, anyway, I'm, it's a gaslight fantasy game and I'm super excited for it. Um, it's using one of my favorite systems of all time. Uh, it's perfect for play by post just because it's so rules light while also keeping the game structured and story focused. Um, so yeah, I'm super hyped that that's going to be starting soon. I'm so far resisting the urge to apply, but the urge is strong. (laughs) All right. Uh, Colin, what's making you happy this week? Well, I spent all day. Well, it was cold as hell, but, you know, I spent all day with a kitten that I was keeping entertained until a friend that really, really needed, you know, some form of companionship in his life was able to get over with the cat carrier and adopt the kitten. So I got to help a friend get a pet. Nice. So, Colin, chat is asking, what's up with your Planet Mercenary game? No, Valgan is asking, what's up with the Planet Mercenary game? Uh, the Planet Mercenary game is coming. I swear, Blood Gem and Sandrinin are almost done. Speaking of, I need to get Blood Gem to post in the uh, initial crew counseling segments that Chimi is running. So Chimi also wants to know, Colin, how awesome is Skitosiksiko? There's no way I pronounced that correctly. I refuse to tell my players how awesome their characters are. 
Ah, that would I imply see. I wasn't going to kill them. <laughs> All right. So yeah, chat, uh, ask your questions. Um, let's see. I will also see if I can dig up some standby questions while we wait for people to type their questions in chat. Let's see what we can find. Uh, here's a really good question. What are some of the biggest challenges as a GM we've encountered in play by post? Have you seen my players? <laughs> Hey, I'm included in that category, by the way. I know, you're the slow poster. God, fine. <laughs> Walked right into that one. I sure did, didn't I? <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, what are some of the biggest challenges you guys have run into as a GM? Players having to back out. Yeah, that's a big one. Uh, as Doc Maynot puts it in chat, the unpredictability of players. Yeah, whether it's in character or out of character, players are pretty pretty unpredictable. Well, and I will say, I've never... Usually my players are having to pull out of the game because life is getting crazy. So I have i don't blame them. It's not their fault that things went chaotic. But as you know, Nathan, there's not really a good way for me to insert new players into routine salvage right now. Yeah, we're kind of in the middle of nowhere at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Losing players is hard. I would I find it most difficult for me when the players are losing interest but still trying to hold on because encouraging them to to make that decision to say, you know, I just I just can't do this anymore and and it, no one wants to drop a game and it, it perpetuates the cycle of um guilt and pain I call it the downward spiral of play by post where they just can't work up a post, and so they delay, and everyone else waits for them, and it just makes them feel guilty that they were the last poster for the last two weeks, and it just goes down the hill from there. So, yeah, I mean, try, trying to be counselor to the players, that's one of the biggest challenges for me. I think, uh, I think for me, the biggest challenge for me is being consistent. Um, I know Colin already, already kind of made a jab at me for posting slowly, but, um, you know, I love you. I know. I just, uh, being consistent for me is fairly difficult. Like I have so much going on. Like I've got the podcast, I'm in school. Uh, like just, I have, like I have games and there's so many things are going on that being consistent is one of the hardest things for me. I don't have a set schedule of when I post and, um, it's just not easy to s get a post in every week or every day or whatever. Didn't we talk about that being one of the best practices to try and uh, help uh, keep yourself on task was to kind of set a little bit of a schedule to when you were going to do things? You know, it's one thing to give advice. It's another thing to follow it. Follow it. <laughs> we did at least get you to stop volunteering for project after project. I mean, the Mythweavers Discord server is a daily project, so... Yeah, there was a period there where... You'd say, hey, I could do this. Hey, at least I recognize that my plate is like 95% full, right? Eventually you did, yes. Hey, Valgan, what game do you want Valgan, me to run? Bad Valgan. No, <laughs> no treat. Eber, I have never ran, I have never run an Eberron game. Are you asking for a challenge? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've played in an Eberron game, but I've never actually run one. <laughs> All right, so here's another question. Uh, we'll go ahead and throw this out there. 
Um, how do you guys feel about letting the GM on play by post roll all the dice, including for your players? How do you guys feel about that? That is a touchy, sensitive topic. Let's have fun with it. I do not favor having the GM roll all the dice, but I do favor having the GM roll some of the dice, particularly because in play by post, you can make things private. It's a lot easier than passing notes across the tabletop table. People don't even necessarily have to know that you did or said anything because you roll the dice in secret. When you know the result, you pass that information on to just the people who need to know it and then let the insanity abound. Colin? I lost my train of thought. Alrighty. Um, I don't think this is a good idea at all. Um, I... I would really rather my players roll their dice because I don't know their characters nearly as well as they do. Um, it's easier for to tell my players, hey, just roll whatever dice for whatever action you're trying to do rather than me try to figure out what dice they're, they, they need to roll for the action they want to accomplish. And then there's always the chance of them coming back and saying, oh, no, you didn't roll the right dice because of X, Y, Z, whatever reasons. Well, it all depends on, is it something where the players know what's going on and have an opportunity to influence it, or is it something where it's outside of their uh, awareness or control? Because I would much rather give the players the opportunity to have that agency if it's something that they are aware of, but I don't see the value in people posting a spot and listen check in every blessed post in my D&D 3.5 games, simply because... Well, it's potential that there could be something out there. Uh, at that point, I start telling them that they're going to need to actually take time to make those checks because they're actively looking for something out of the ordinary as opposed to catching a glimpse of it passively. All right. Uh, does anyone in text chat have any more questions for us? I think we have time for two or three more, probably. Uh, Rising Zan wants to know, can you change my nickname to God King Zan? No. But once Rodrigo finishes the server upgrades, you can do it yourself. Uh, Doc Maynot wants to know, can I have a purplish-red name? I don't even know what color that is. Purple-red. Is that like, is that like the color of a plum? Or magenta? Magenta? Okay, I could see magenta. have a purple? I mean, it, purple's reserved for the bots, so... We could make him Kirby Pink. <laughs> I mean, sure, we can make you... Here, I'll make you Kirby Pink right now. Here you go. You are now Kirby Pink. Someone beat me to the punch. (laughs) (laughs) I happen to be looking at the colors to figure out whether there was a purple red available. All right. I do have another standby question we can answer real quick. If you could give one piece of advice to a brand new game master, what would it be? Don't let your players run all over you. Don't be afraid to potentially kill them if they make a stupid decision. I said one. (laughs) All right, so for play-by-post, stick to your guns. There are lots of people out there, and they are very interested in playing their game, and you are running your game. It's your game that's going to make you happy, that's going to make it fun for you, that's going to keep you coming back to keep posting again and again and again and again, and sometimes twice on Tuesdays. If you're not having fun, you're not going to do that. So play your game. If the players don't want to play find different players. Don't bend over to accommodate them simply because you think you need to have players right now. Be patient. I would tell them to read this article that I have just linked in chat. 
That is completely unfair, Nathan, because that counts as many, many pieces of the fight, <laughs> not just it's, one. It's only one. I t- read this article, you'll be fine. <laughs> no, if I if I had to give one single piece of advice, it I would say make sure you have the time to do what you want to do on the website. Don't overcommit to more than you have time for. So. For those who are listening to the recording, I will put the link to that article in the forum post after the episode goes live on SoundCloud. Multimedia at its finest. <laughs> All right. I didn't miss any questions in chat, did I? None that mattered, right? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Valgun may have rambled a bit. Uh, Valgun is playing Hearts of Iron 4. Um, I have only put a handful of hours into that game, so I cannot give advice on it because I'm terrible at that game. Stellaris, on the, other Stellaris hand. on the other hand. Look, so many I'll, I'll, take Val- I'll take Falcon's question here. Don't get involved in a land war in Asia. Do not invade the USSR. Now, Stellaris, on the other hand, I have put a lot of hours into Stellaris. Um, that game is great. Until the interdimensional race comes to kill you all, and all the allies in your federation decide that they don't see them as a threat. Yeah, that's an old bug. They fixed that. That old bug killed my best game. All right, I think we have time for probably one or two more questions. Probably one. Uno mas. Oh god, here comes Chimi. Excellent. Bring it on, Chimi. That is not the right encouragement. Why must you oppress the people of J? I take it back. I love that question because it annoys the hell out of me. It annoys me so much. J J J J. It annoys me to no end. We know, and someone on staff keeps changing the general banner, too. God, it, I swear to God, if somebody changed it again... Okay, alright, it's fine. <laughs> alright. I didn't even I didn't realize it changed today. Okay, it's fine. It's, it's Everything's fine. It's not Jay's. Find your happy place, Nathan. Uh, my happy place is at the bottom of this glass. Don't lie, you don't drink during the podcast. I have finished an entire glass of whiskey this podcast, thank you very much. Oh, you adorable lightweight. I'm, I'm sorry, we've only been going for an hour and twelve minutes. Yeah, that's what I said. Well, to be fair... Colin's on his second fifth. Well, to be fair, it was like a twelve-ounce glass. So. Colin is not actually on his second fifth. Third. Okay, I don't drink like that anymore. <laughs> Okay, alright, let's 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 move this along. I think we've had... Alright, unless there's one more question in the next, like, 15 seconds, uh, we're gonna move on. Be careful what you wish for. Uh, Doc Maynot wants to know, can we not move on? Uh, we kinda have to. I'm sorry. Law of thermodynamics. Moving on is mandatory. Just like <laughs> no, fun. I was gonna say, fun is mandatory. This episode of Weaving Myths brought to you by Mandatory Fun. <laughs> And the letter J. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> to be fair, you walked right into that one. I had to. God, why do you people do this to me? <laughs> Your reactions are hilarious. Oh my god. Alright. Alright, we're gonna move on. Uh, Alright, all right. I changed my mind. We have one more actual question. Uh, Chibi Amy wants to know, what is the greatest challenge you have enjoyed as a player, player character? Trying to not die while my game master blatantly tried to kill me. Uh, 
being grappled by a flesh monster as a monk. Rowing a small boat laden with explosives to uh, stick it on the stern of a French man-of-war and sink them to the bottom of the ocean with three ship's boys and one midshipman. You know, I I could have thrown this one out there. Being stuck in a diner while one of your team goes outside to yell at the cops about his sister while the rest of you try to escape. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I wasn't a PC, so I can't count that one. <laughs> uh, Chibi Amy wants to know, Chibi Amy or Chimi Amy? Uh, Chibi Amy? Because that's your username? Wrap up the show. Okay, alright, let's wrap up the show. Alright, before we wrap up for the evening, I would like to take just a moment to remind everyone that this episode of Weaving Myths is made possible by our Patreon. We have several tiers of rewards, ranging from us taking your topic suggestions more seriously than non-patrons, all the way up to receiving a free copy of my latest novel. We also do special bonus content for our patrons, such as Weaving Myths Does Tabletop. The first two episodes of that are available on Twitch, and the third episode of that will be coming very soon. Unfortunately, we have had to reschedule episode three. Uh, March 10th is not going to work out um, for anybody, basically. I'm going to be out of town. Uh, Ruben's busy. I think uh, Colin, or it's either Colin or Mort. I had something planned, but anyway. Uh, contributions start at as little as $1 per month, so it doesn't take much at all to show your support. The patrons over at Patreon help make this podcast possible, so if you haven't already, I'd encourage you all to check it out at patreon.com slash mythweavers. One last thing I should note, me- weaving myths is, always has been, and will always continue to be free. Full episodes are always uploaded to SoundCloud within two days of the episode being recorded, and all normal episodes will always be available for download or streaming free of charge. So, thank you everybody so much for joining us today. It's been a blast, and we appreciate all of the comments and questions from the text chat. As always, I'm Nathan, and I've been joined by the magnificent Mordai. So long, and thanks for all the games. And Colin. Until next time, folks. Thanks for listening, and keep on weaving those myths.